0: to the first podcast of Downton Gabby Off Season. Uh, The season has ended, but we are still talking by popular demand. We're going to be here once a month talking about our favorite shows that we're watching right now, and we're also going to be talking about what the Downton crew is doing in their hiatus, and we're also going to be plucking out interesting older works from some of our Downton Abbey favorites including one that's coming up on this episode. So welcome, and I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles.
1: And I'm Shannon in Oakland. Nice to be back on the mic. So I guess the main piece of Downton Abbey news is that we only have one more season.
2: (sighs) Yes. There was was talk of this that was the rumor, but I think it was post-finale that it was really, really confirmed. They're not going to do more. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll change their minds.
0: Probably with Maggie Smith announcing for sure that she's only doing one more season. I can't imagine the show going on after that.
2: No. I could imagine them doing some kind of spin-off. But I think like, as the format stands right now, even though this past season I thought was really solid and fun, thematically we're getting to a point where it something would need to change and we know that Julian doesn't love thematic change. so.
0: He doesn't love no. any kind of change. We know that. <laughs> no. So yeah. so we've got one more season to marry off Mary and Edith.
1: Mm-hmm. And Okay. Uh, they can have storylines that don't involve just getting a man, I, Therese. I know. <laughs> That's not very feminist I'm, of you. I'm being sarcastic.
0: <laughs> being sarcastic i want i want edith to just live a life of publishing glory in london we've talked about this but i don't know
2: here's what i want and i know that a lot like a lot of shows have kind of ripped this off of six feet under but the flash forward where if you could if they could do it in down abbey world and then you would see the characters through the like 30s and 40s and 50s what happened to them that would be amazing
0: I totally. love that device so much. Who just did that? Oh,
2: Parks Parenthood
0: and just did it.
2: Parks and Rec did it. Parenthood did it. Yeah, it's become you know a pretty common trope, but I think for good reason. It's extremely satisfying when it's done well to feel like you can really like sign off on where your characters are going to go once you your TV goes black. You know, I I've watched that Six Feet Under last <sighs> ten minutes on oh YouTube my God. like. I probably like every six months I watch it and cry every time. And I'm just I, like, This is genius, Alan Paul, you're so amazing.
0: I cry like a baby every time I watch it and it's so
2: satisfying. So satisfying. Yeah.
0: Well let's hope that let's hope that they do that. That would be really wonderful to see where people end up.
1: Totally. And not to jump ahead to our next topic of the very amazing movie that we watched from time to time (laughs) that Julian Fellows wrote. But the girl that plays the blind daughter in it, I totally thought could play Marigold in a flash forward. Oh. Oh, well,
0: let's, let's talk about this. So we decided we were going to explore the other worlds of Downton Abbey actors and creators. And Brandy found a gem on Netflix.
2: Yeah, so this is written and directed by Julian Fellows, I believe around the same time that it must have been developing, Downton Abbey Season 1. So hard to tell with movies. It's the year before. Okay. I
1: did look it up. So this came out in 2009, and Downton Abbey started in 2010.
2: Okay, so it's based off of, like, a children's novel, and we've got Maggie Smith, Hugh Bonneville, Alan Leach, Daisy Lewis, who played Miss Bunting, Harriet Walter played Lady Shackleton. We, I mean, and I expected a bunch of these people just from scanning the IMDb page. But also, all of a sudden, Dr. Clarkson was in one of the scenes at the like what? dinner party at the manor that they were Wait, having. What? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't I have, have a mustache. That's why you didn't recognize him. <laughs> Oh my god. I recognized his voice and I had to go back and be like, that was Dr. Clarkson. And... Friggin' Mrs. Bird, who was like Isabel's yep. cook, who resigned over having to work with a harlot. I, she was in it. I mean, everybody also playing in a cook. It. Also
1: playing yeah. a cook. Yeah, <laughs> she's been typecast for sure. I really felt like this movie was everyone's audition tape for Downton Abbey.
2: Well, the thing is, is
1: all the characters were playing
2: like if they were a, a highborn person in Downton Abbey, then they were playing you know aristocracy in this. Or at least mm-hmm. rich, you know? And then, like, poor, you know, Branson is, I don't know, some sort of, co- I don't know what he was even supposed to be, like, a handyman.
1: I <laughs> he, he was supposed to be.
2: But everybody... But his
1: love interest is played by Miss Bunting. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and in this movie, they actually, well, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but, okay, they get together.
1: Ooh, yeah, You're not even spoiling it because it happens off stage. <laughs> Typical, <laughs> Julian. Typical, Typical Julian. Typical um, Julian. I felt like there were so many of his same dialogue and themes and just plot devices that were in this movie that were in Down Abbey. Like, fear of times changing. Oh no, we have to sell this old regal house. But we can't because it's been in the family. <laughs> Even I felt like Dominic West as the surly, conniving butler was just a precursor to Thomas. (laughs) Totally. Totally,
2: yes. And then there's like, so what it is is basically there's a timeline that's in the 40s, and then they're telling stories slash having like a time travel thing with a timeline that's like Regency era in the same manor house. Right. For no apparent reason. Really, because you pretty much could have just told the, the earlier story without the framing device, and it might have actually worked better.
1: <laughs> but... Yeah, I think so. Also, the little boy that's the lead oh. is really boring, and I swear half of his dialogue is just questions. What is that tower? What is it for? Can I go to it? It was like, does this kid ever know anything, also, or does he only ask
0: questions? Do, do school boys wear shorts all year round, even when it's snowing?
2: apparently Mm, that was weird good question really
0: weird you know and we didn't mention this but carice van houten is in it too and she is the uh fire priestess in game of thrones
2: the red woman yeah and it's quite alarming she when she first shows up she's wearing like a bright yellow gown and a tiara and i was like oh my god this is like (laughs) it doesn't match because i just rewatched all of game of thrones and i was not prepared she also
0: looks about a foot shorter than she does in in Melisandre in Game of Thrones, so nice camera work there.
1: Yeah, I really liked her. I thought she gave one of the best performances in the movie.
0: I thought she was good, and actually, I find the beginning of this movie deadly boring. I've tried to start it three times now, and then I finally got past the first third, and then I kind of got into it. I. I kind of enjoyed it. You know, it's a
2: mystery ghost story kind of. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. there's missing jewels. There's an element of sort of talking about class and how things are changing as, uh, you know, one of the main characters is an escaped slave who's been brought to work at this manor house. And some people are all for it and some people are against it. And, you know, it's not exactly subtle. It's definitely like family film, you know exactly how you're supposed to feel about the storyline kind of thing. But it was I thought a lot of elements were well done once you got past that first third. I totally agree. And there's a, a pretty amazing set piece with a giant fire that I actually was I was really impressed by.
0: Yeah. And I like the callback from something that happens earlier in the film that gets called back in the fire. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was effective, too, as a little narrative device. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And there are a lot of sparkly headbands. And Mm -hmm. there are, like, you know, ghosts from the past that show up. And there's some sentimental stuff, which made me a little weepy. And I'm a
1: sucker for that kind of thing. So It's okay. I totally cried. I totally cried. At the you end did. Way. Oh, I feel so sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. But I mean, pure confession here. Brandy already knows this, but Therese, you should know this too. That a, like two weeks ago, I stayed up till one a.m. sobbing my face off to the end of a show called Dance Academy. That's about uh, Australian teenage ballet dancers. <laughs> And they do something very shocking in the final three episodes, and I cried like the 30-year-old woman I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't take much. Awesome. That's great.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, I thought, you know, I would put this movie in the vein of uh, The Little Princess or The Secret Garden, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I didn't think this movie was as good as those two movies, but enjoyable in a similar way. Agreed. And the movie, again, is
2: called... From Time to Time... Which, in my head, I keep calling, like, lost time, time, is that, like, I can't remember that time. <laughs> so,
1: I keep getting it wrong, too. I keep calling it time after time. Yeah, i had time to look it up, time time like, four times. times. That it doesn't, doesn't make totally sense. Movie.
2: Waiting for the Cyndi Lauper song to kick in. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so it's written and directed by Julian Fellows, and it's available on Netflix. Is it available anywhere else?
2: I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I think especially if maybe you have a kid who you feel like they don't really need to watch Downton Abbey because there's, you know, maybe it gets a little too racy with some of the dead Turks at times or whatever. Mm-hmm, <laughs> this would be something that you could watch with them
0: Oh, for I, sure. ha- I have an availability update. It is available on Netflix. It's also available on Google Play, uh, Vudu, and Amazon. So lots of ways to watch.
1: All right. Well, if anybody has any suggestions of movies that we should check out that feature your favorite Downton Abbey stars or anything juicy from Julian Fellow's writing pass, uh, just shoot us a tweet and let us know what movie you want us to watch next. And then we will let everyone know so you can watch it with us and we can all make some great jokes about it.
0: All right. Can we all hit play at the very same time and then live tweet it together?
1: (laughs) That would be fun. That would be really
0: fun. We'll We'll work on that.
2: So the other thing we want to talk about are these shows that are coming back. This April is always big for returning shows that we are enthusiastic about. So as we're recording, last night was the premiere of Game of Thrones, and it was also episode two of Mad Men and episode three of the new season of Call the Midwife as it's airing in the US. And I believe this past Saturday was episode two of Outlander season one, part two. So these are all shows that are are really interesting to talk about in the context of how they present their female characters in whatever historical or fantastical scenario that they're going for. And I think I'd like to talk about how these shows do that well, or how they do it not so well, and in particular, I, I'm I don't like Outlander, which I feel like it's making me it's making me a pariah of, in feminist circles <laughs> these days. But I just don't think the show is doing what it thinks it's doing as far as all commenting. right. Well, let's dive in, Brandy. Yeah, you're
1: just busting. At the seams with these opinions, so tell us why. Tell us what they're doing wrong. Okay, well, okay, part one
2: is that I just think the show is boring, Um, and I had to sort of force myself to keep watching, and I haven't seen every episode, but I, I watched the first few episodes. I watched The Wedding when people told me that they finally took their clothes off, which was reasonably hot. And then I watched the first episode of this new half of the season featuring this infamous scene where, you know, Jamie... Um, beats her uh, and then they get over it and he promises he's never going to beat her again and I could not have been rolling my eyes harder through all of this guys. Like guys. <laughs> I was not enjoying myself I don't care if he reformed at the end especially because I guess my main problem with Outlander is she's the only female character they're really caring about if you watch the opening credits she's the only female name There's no other female character on the opening credits. There's like 10 white guys. And I want to know what it's like for a woman who's really from this time. But the only one we ever see is the blonde who's constantly throwing herself at Jamie so we can be reminded what a good guy he is that he
1: doesn't fuck her. So in fairness, because I read the first two books, there's a lot of female characters coming. They're just not in this story yet. Okay. So, um, in particular, Jamie's sister, when she shows up, is awesome. Mm -hmm. She's super strong, and she's a fantastic character. Um, but this, this is the problem with the books. There's a lot of rambling around, fighting, not fighting with men. you know, these little skirmishes in the men's world that she kind of gets tangled up in. And that part is boring.
0: (laughs) So, I'm about to finish book four, and, um... I'm completely caught up in this, and I, I agree. There are other female characters coming, um, and I also think that the that whole thing about him beating her, like punishing her, basically by smacking her on the ass many times, um, this has been like completely overwhelming the blogosphere. At least the section of the blogosphere that likes feminist historical romance.
2: <laughs> I think. Is there he, any other section? He
0: says. He says right off that any guy that would have put everyone in such danger um, would have been punished in some way, which makes perfect sense. And I have no real issue with him punishing her as well, honestly. Mm -hmm. She's gotten them into trouble more than once. She's like a bullheaded woman who Mm -hmm. is doing exactly what she wants, completely disregarding where she is, her circumstances, how it will endanger the people around her she she is not a perfect character which is wonderful no but yeah but I didn't have such a problem with it and the fact that he did it in private and not in front of all the men which is how it would usually go was good because he Hmm. could have publicly humiliated her which
1: would have been even worse great I I'm with you I'm with you on that Therese because I really love the main character, but she is really infuriating sometimes because she doesn't really understand the danger of the new world she's in. And by her being British, how dangerous life is for her and everyone is who is around her. And she does this bonehead stuff. And to me, that whole scene was about to get the, his men to trust him again. He had to show that he took it seriously and he's not going to endanger everybody's life over and over again but it is uncomfortable i think in our modern times because obviously i mean i definitely want to bring up how this compares to 50 shades because this is a really <laughs> similar situation <laughs>
0: hmm.
1: and i find i find outlander much more empowering in its um sexual narrative and there's a lot of sexual power politics um and more that are coming right. into this story
2: I don't know. I mean, I like the fact that Claire is able to kind of show Jamie how a woman can enjoy sex, even if the show does do the thing where he thrusts like five times and she has an orgasm.
0: <laughs> that um, that makes me
2: crazy, you guys. Though. That makes me so crazy. Yeah, and it. I know they have other scenes that involve cunnilingus, but like that, you can't. You just can't do that. I'm sorry, but what he was doing to her the first night they had sex, she did not have an orgasm. <laughs>
0: This goes on through all of the books. There, there are like these really like sensuous descriptions of their lovemaking and her shuddering and quivering and all of this. And I just read past. Like I don't even read them because I just find them so
1: boring. And oh my god, I'm totally reading those. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna give up on the the first book, and then I got on a plane and I got to a lot of the quivering. Around the Highlands, and I was like, "All right, now we're talking." <laughs> I, I'm not saying that
0: Jamie isn't incredibly hot, and I think that he is so beautifully cast. Everyone is well cast, I think, but Jamie especially is definitely that that object of of perfection. Um, and 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 in, in but with, was, scars. With, with scars, <laughs> with scars, with scars. But um, in 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 defense of their lovemaking, the uh, second episode of the second half of the season opens with the longest cunnilingus scene I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I, Reason to watch, I <laughs> guess.
2: Okay, alert me when some actual some female characters who are you know contemporary to the narrative time get there because that's the comparison I'm most interested in. Mm-hmm. And to to segue a little bit, like. One of the things that I loved most about the Mad Men premiere was showing the difference between the way that Peggy and Joan each experienced the sexism Mm -hmm. of their time, which I think has been a a good ongoing theme throughout the show, but has kind of backburnered in the last couple seasons, so it was nice to see it, like, come up again. And that's what I really want from something like Outlander. If they're gonna be exploring these themes, then I want, I don't want it to be just through Claire's eyes. I want more.
0: Have you seen the shows with Gailis Duncan? Because there is another that... there's another major character in the first season who is a red-headed woman who's also a healer and and considered a witch by some
2: people. Like a little bit. I, I watched the first four episodes then I skipped to the wedding and then I skipped to this most recent premiere.
0: Okay. Cuz she's so. she's she's got a pretty important role.
2: Okay. In so may- maybe season. I'm just whining. Maybe it's uninformed whining, and you all can tweet at me about
1: how <laughs> terrible I am. No, I mean, I think what you're saying is valid. I mean, I really like the story, but I also think there's a lot of problems with it. Like, each book could be cut in half oh, yeah. completely there's a lot of people going from one place to the next
0: book two (laughs) book two is incredibly long and incredibly long-winded I almost didn't make it through but once I read books three and four I I thought they were both great and, and right a lot more stuff happens
1: all right well I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it and go to book three and I do think that it's cast extremely well and the story does get richer there are more female characters and You know, it's the love story with her and Jamie is not an easy love story and it doesn't get easier. And I think in that way, it is kind of compelling because it is hard to understand why she's choosing him. You know, because it's like if you could choose a time with modern medicine and warm baths and things, you think you'd do it. So there there's a complicated love there, but it is compelling as the story goes on. Okay, that's my final let's go on to Mad Men. I love what you were saying about Peggy and Joan and I think it was funny how people were so like this outcry of like why aren't they friends and it's like they've never been friends.
2: (laughs) No and I think that's actually interesting to show how women could be allies without being friends actually. Totally. Um, I'm not I'm not dying for them to be BFFs I just want to I want to see the way that they can support each other or misunderstand each other, I think is also compelling.
1: Well, there's more than one way to be a strong woman in any era. And I think that they are two, they have two different types of power that they yield. And I do think they support each other. But yeah, sometimes things get a little prickly. I mean, you got a queen being a nerd. They would never sit at the same lunch table. Mm-hmm. It's
0: also interesting to see the class differences coming up um, because, Uh, Joan is really a very wealthy woman at this point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and Peggy is not, but she seems to have a lot more respect at the office. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really interesting thing. I think the class stuff this season is is especially interesting for the people who kind of got left behind, who didn't make big bucks in the buyout.
2: Yeah, and I I actually really liked that scene of, Joan kind of making yourself feel better by going and buying some really expensive shit. Like, I could see how maybe somebody wouldn't love that. But for me, I was like, yeah, girl, get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you earned that money.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I, I think that the fact that she was like, fine, but I'm really rich now and I'm just going to go spend some money. I get it. I get it.
1: It's so interesting because if that was the roles were reversed and that was Peggy, I don't think that's what she would be doing. She would go back to the work and try and make the work better. Right. And, you know, so I think in that way they're completely different. Yet yeah, they're both very powerful women in this, in right. this world of men.
2: Well, and the, the difference too is that the kind of job Joan has, if she's really good at it, it's invisible.
0: Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know,
2: Peggy is constantly on display, which is actually kind of the opposite of how they are personally. So that's actually, like, to me, that that split is very interesting.
0: I just love I love Peggy so much. I, I rewatched um, last season's, was it the finale where Peggy does the Burger Chef pitch? Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. That episode is really outstanding, and Peggy is fantastic, Elizabeth Moss. And I just, I love her, and I want her to be in every scene. I just want the
2: show to be about Peggy. The second episode that... I mean, I think had no Joan at all, and less None. Peggy. I, I like the Megan scenes, that's fine, but and I'm interested in seeing how things work out for her given, you know, how her career was shattered by Dawn's nonsense. But the amount of time that we're having to spend with Don's latest depressed brunette, like, I can't. I just, uh-huh. why? We only have five episodes left, and I swear half of this past episode was all about the death waitress.
0: Oh my god, You're, you are mirroring my thoughts exactly. Uh, I, I described her as a sad and needy brunette in a long line of sad and needy brunettes and mm-hmm. I, I, was, I really don't care. Does Matthew Weiner think that people care about this? I, I'm so annoyed that he's giving so much time to these stories. I don't stories. know.
2: And then we had to see Sylvia and it was just like a black oh. hole in that <laughs> elevator. Yeah.
1: Well Well, I think he's really hammering in the mother maiden crone thing. Mother being Betty, Maiden being Megan, and Crone being waitress woman. She's a wait what? <laughs> she's already thrown she's away like her all, entire youth just yeah. to be sad. Yeah. She's like already she's like she's like an image of death. She's like yeah. she's like on the level of that sad, needy school teacher that he was having <sighs> affair with. Oh, I'd like to forget geez, those episodes.
0: It's just I mean, awful.
1: Who cares? This
2: poor actress, Elizabeth Reeser, she's always showing up on my favorite shows to be a black cloud. Like, I don't know how she's always cast like that. Really? She's done, oh yeah, she's done this on Grey's Anatomy, she was on like one episode of True Detective, I think she got cut out, probably too depressing for True Detective, like that's how bad. <laughs> oh, that's, that's how bad this is. This poor woman needs like a comedy immediately.
1: Yeah, and her backstory is just so similar to the backstory of Ruth Wilson on the affair that it was like, okay. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and Ruth Wilson is so much better at that that it was that like. That would a, be like
2: the one actress I would make an exception for at this point if someone was going to come in and have sex with John Hamm because I feel like that would be really hot <laughs> for <the>, once. <months>. Yeah. <laughs> he's, had
0: some, he's had some affairs that have been really interesting, and I was thinking of what ties them all together. and. What it is is these women had something going on, like Faye, who was a PhD, mm. oh. and, and the comedian's wife, who, whose name I can't remember yeah. now, Bobby Bobby, Barry. Bobby Barrett. Yeah. And, um, Those were the
2: most interesting ones, and they were also the least brunettes. And Rachel Bun- <laughs> and Rachel, Menken. Rachel Menken, who was yeah a Rachel, Rachel Menken. Okay, character. she had dark hair. And I thought that was I would have liked this episode one callback to Rachel Menken a lot more if it had existed on its own without the waitress storyline. Because I feel like totally. it's just too much. Like, I got it. I got what you were trying to say just from Rachel. And so I don't need another storyline about death. Like, so you're telling me that part of Mad Men is mortality. Hmm. Like, it's the equivalent of Hughes and Carson having another conversation about how change is a comment. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, exactly. And it's been two episodes with no Sally. Like, I don't... <sighs> She's on Kimmy Schmidt. Has have if you guys watched Unbreakable oh, yeah. Kimmy Schmidt, she's I have. in a
0: couple of episodes of that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's actually really funny and I have no doubt that Kieran and Chipko will have an amazing career post-Mad Men because she's so talented. Totally. But I just feel like the arc of Peggy, the Arc of Joan, the Arc of Sally, even seeing where Betty and Megan end up, like that's mm-hmm. basically all I'm interested in right now. I feel like the male characters have pretty much done what they're gonna do. Even the ones I really like, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I did laugh out loud when uh, Betty said she was going to go become a psychologist. What? Because it's just funny. But you know what? This all started with that um, dinner party that she went to last year with Henry, Mm -hmm. and he got all mad at her that she said her Mm -hmm. opinions and they were the wrong opinions, and she was like... He's like, well, what are you going to do, run for office? She's like, I don't know. I'm going to do something. So I was really happy to see that she is doing something. She's going to school. And even though I feel like everybody in the reviews was like, oh, she's going to be a terrible psychologist. People don't ever talk to her. Actually, we've seen a lot of strangers talk to her. A lot of children or teenagers.
0: Uh-huh. Weirdly
1: True. Weirdly open up to her. So she's not wrong. And just because she's super unself-aware of her own feelings, she might actually be good for someone else. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm a bore. Therapists are notoriously screwed up in <laughs> themselves, <laughs>
0: so that wouldn't be that unusual. I just think Betty is kind of a right-wing nut, but, you know, <laughs> that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fine.
2: I, right. I love the idea of her going back to school and doing something independent. However, I will say that I rewound that scene and watched it again because when it was revealed to not be a fantasy of like if their life if they had stayed together I was surprised like when Henry walked in I was like oh wait I thought I was watching a fantasy scene (laughs) to go back and be like okay so she really means it she really is gonna be a psychologist Oh, and her outfit was incredible, and shame on the show for also not having very much of her in the last couple episodes. I know, I'm always lukewarm on the first couple of episodes of a, of a set of Mad Men, though, so yeah. it's not like I'm losing faith or anything, it's just the same thing that happens at the end of like any of my favorite shows, when I know there's a limited number of episodes, I get frustrated when the time is not being spent where I want it to be spent.
1: Well, I think your feelings are being echoed across the internet. And I think everybody just has a lot of anticipation for, you know, it's like the final episodes of Lost. It has Mm -hmm. to mean something. It has to mean something. And right now it's like, I don't like what you're telling me what this means. (laughs) I've never
2: been more irate at a show than when Lost spent like its third to last episode all on the backstory of like Jacob and the man in black or whatever and didn't show the normal characters at all. I've never been more angry. I swear.
1: Well, I totally feel you, and I hope you don't get that angry with Madmen. I fingers crossed that they're going to pull everything together. Um, but it's nice to live in the world a little longer. I will say that I'm glad we got to see so much Stan on this last
2: episode. Because oh, yeah. I, <gasps> he does Stan. it for me. He
1: really does it for me.
2: Oh,
0: I know. <laughs> the hairier he gets, the more hot he I gets. I know, right? How does that happen? <laughs> it's un- Teresa,
1: I've loved your phrase that you've been using online of your Stan-gasms.
0: yeah. I just keep having all these yeah. Stan-gasms.
1: It's
2: unnatural. It's like the worse his clothes get and the hairier he gets, the hotter he is So.
0: I don't understand it. (laughs) It's true. (laughs)
2: Oh
1: God! It's me. All right. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about Cersei and Betty today, bringing in some Game of Thrones, and just kind of seeing how reviewers have been talking about both the characters, similarly of how annoying they are, and you know how weak and they don't make very good decisions. And I think, I think they both are women who would have been very strong and independent if they weren't so mishandled by men yeah. in their lives. And I think because we're seeing both these characters through the lens of a man's world, we think of them in this way. But I think they're both really strong in a, in a lot of ways. And I like both characters a lot, even though they're technically villains.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, especially thinking back to the first couple of seasons of Mad Men and how much Betty's weird relationship with her father... Made Mm -hmm. her incapable of understanding what she should be asking for from the men in her life. Uh, I think that's that's an interesting comparison for sure.
1: Yeah, because I am all on team Cersei. I understand that she's a villain, but I don't think she makes really bad decisions, actually. I think she tries to make good decisions and then people fuck it up around her. And, you know, she's very much a microcosm. She's not thinking big picture, but I think, I don't know.
0: I think that the show continues to reinforce the fact that she was not born a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, I think that 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 message keeps being said over and over again. Had Cersei been male, everything would have been different. Mm -hmm. Is she the only Lannister child with, you know, actual balls?
1: Yes.
2: Pretty much, yeah. And I mean, all three of those characters, jamie and Cersei and Tyrion, are like, I love the way they interact with each other. Even when she's totally unreasonable and trying to have Tyrion killed all the time, I just find... I find that that's the only way she can really express her anger at the world is by funneling it at one person that everyone will let her be angry at. It's the only person she can... In her entire life, the only person she can lash out at with no consequence, basically. Besides, like, the peasants. You know what I mean? But she can't... Jamie, Tywin... All Her son, like they all have more power than her. But Tyrion, yeah. she can focus all of that rage at. And I really, I feel for her even as I'm wishing for her plots to fail.
1: Totally. And I wonder if Daenerys was able to flourish and become the leader that she is because all of the men in her life, her family life, died. Early Hmm. on. Interesting. Because it's really after her brother dies that she finds the power within herself because they're born into these old families Mm -hmm. where women did not inherit, did not rule. Mm -hmm. And then
2: after Khal Drogo dies, she has to, like, rebuild her entire army and she becomes, like,
1: even more determined to do so. And that's interesting because, you know, him and Ser Jorah were the ones that encouraged her. And they are not from... The classic noble families in Westeros, and I think Cersei's really trapped in this role, and she wishes she could just go beat the shit out of people, and <laughs> you know, but she can't do that, and so she does all of this, you know, power plays of social standings in King's Landing. But uh, I love her; I think she's great, and I think I, I like how male she is. I guess
2: I love watching her, yeah, trying to use. Certain types of male aggression, male coded aggression, whatever. Um, in opposition to Marjorie, who is completely embracing how, like, the ways in which a woman can
1: control things in this world. It's it's completely. pretty fascinating. Completely, I am worried about Daenerys. Things seem to be going pretty bad.
0: Yep, for sure. <laughs> Stay worried is all I can say. I have a uh, I have a beef with Game of Thrones that we haven't discussed yet, which is like how many few minutes in did we get a full frontal nude shot
1: of some prostitute? It's like with a wax twat. Yeah,
0: I mean this <laughs> this stuff is I could have a whole
1: wax twat rant and bring up fifty shades because no virgin has a wax twat, okay? <laughs>
0: this this kind of this kind of thing is just really annoying. Plus, there were so many naked men in this episode and they were so delicately shielded from even a small glimpse of the junk.
2: So I watched this at my friend Reg's house, and she has the kind of setup where there's like a giant screen on the wall that the show is being projected onto. Here's me when like any naked man is on the screen, just staring for even a shadow of a dick.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We were looking for the shadow of a dick too. We had a whole room of people... Bated breath. Are we going to see a dick? And I was like, I didn't see a dick on Looking, so I doubt we're going to see a dick. No.
2: There's been, like, two times in the whole series that we've seen a dick, and both of them have been just, like, you know, some, like, there's a scene where an Oberon is with, like, a male prostitute, and that's, like, eh, mm. you know? It's not it's not the main characters. It's not, it's, you know, they're not going to make Nikolai Koster-Waldo or whatever his name is, they're not going to make him get naked, you know?
0: Okay, but how main are they, I mean, come on. We have the two guys in bed, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: They must all have dick clauses. <laughs> and then there's there's Daenerys' boyfriend.
2: Dario uh-huh. Naharis. Yes.
0: I mean and the the guy who went to the prostitute. Who's yep. not a main character at all. I mean, he's on the prostitute level, you know, of <laughs> characters where I'm sure there's no nudity clause. Sir Loris. Oh, Loris is a whole other yeah. I mean I just I just find it incredibly annoying. You know, I've seen yeah. dicks on, um, oh my God, what was this show? The Subway. Do tell
2: us. I oh, know. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> right. I'm ready oh, to yeah. write it down. Um,
2: I'm ready to fill in this Mad Libs. Like, no, I've seen
0: dicks on. <laughs> no, the show with Jason Schwartzman. Bored to Death? I have seen dicks on Bored to Death.
1: Lots of them. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember seeing dicks on that show, but it's been a when while. They, I like that when show a they go a
0: lot. to Spa Castle. They're in the men's locker room. Oh yeah, it's a screen full of dicks, which is all we really want. It's just if you're gonna show full frontal nudity, no, it should
2: be of it prostitute. should be equal
0: opportunity for sure. Ugh.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, come on. I, I, as I said, I recently rewatched the whole thing, and one of the most egregious things I think, as far as this equal opportunity nudity thing, is uh, already a scene that I hate because it's of Theon being tortured. But, like, throughout that entire scenario, where we just... Like, the discussion of his dick, it goes on and on. He's surrounded by naked, waxed women, and we never actually see the member in question. Mm -hmm. I mean... Why? What? What? What is so... If we're going to say that this is a thing that actors need to be ready to do for certain roles, why, why is it only female actors and not male actors?
1: Totally. And why is it always a shaved twat, is my other question. I mean... Fifty Shades, my girlfriends and I were screaming because it's like no virgin who has no intention is not out in the field looking for a guy. It's going to just, oh, Oh, for the fun of it. She
0: has pubic hair. They had to put it in. They had to like CGI pubic hair onto her.
2: But
1: it's very groomed, isn't it?
0: It's groomed, but I
2: I saw
1: it. It's like a, no, it it was too groomed. I don't know. It was hardly. I any wish on that, that
2: we didn't have to spend so much time discussing the politics of this, but it's noticeable. It's very noticeable every time I watch not just Game of Thrones, but a lot of shows, a lot of movies. the The difference in standards is
1: very aggravating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Completely, and it just builds this idea that that's a normal thing, and that you know all these women have to spend all this time and money and pain. Mm -hmm. just to be considered normal and that's fucked up
2: and it goes along with um uh, there there's sort of a a tumblr meme that i've seen a couple of times where it's about how little a guy has to do to get his cookies and be like such a good guy and one of them is like oh my god my boyfriend didn't freak out when i didn't shave my legs he's the best the best guy ever and that's the culture that we're creating, where, like, a guy not being repulsed by a woman's natural body should get him an award.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, you think of, like, how many years you were so broke just trying to have enough money to, you know, eat and go out with friends and stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to drop hundreds of dollars every month so I can be not revolting? Yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting. Still it's remember, so wrong.
2: I still remember a conversation I had with a co-worker like 10 years ago where he said something where he was like, God, women don't even know how expensive razors are. And I was That's like, good. are you kidding me? Do you think that we all come like this? Like,
1: yeah. I shave
2: a way bigger part of my body than your, like, raggedy beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never speak to me again about how much razors cost. Also, tampons should be covered by the government.
1: True. At
0: least not be taxed. Yes, at <laughs> least
1: be tax-free. We're doing this for everyone. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of periods, we should go to Call the oh, Midwife, call which the is midwife. all about birth. Um, you know, this is still one of the most heartfelt shows on television. I mean, we've been talking on Twitter with some of you guys about how we cry each episode and you know, this season I was wondering how it was gonna go because Jenny's not on it anymore. Just a really big change, although we still have Vanessa Redgrave doing the know, narration. Which is which weird, a weird, but
2: I gotta say, I don't miss Jenny. I I like yeah. that actress a lot, but I don't mm-hmm. think that she was given that much interesting to do. I think she was a very rote protagonist for other people to um bump off of. And I think letting Trixie take that role a little bit has
1: been good in the last couple episodes. I think Trixie's a stronger leading lady. I'm going to say it. Yeah. she They're adding a lot of layers to her, and I really, really like it. I have to say the season is much darker so far.
2: hmm Especially I, without Cynthia because she was, like, the really sweet little one, and then also Chummy's, like, only on it, like, half the time, so. Yeah, uh, she's she's a big star now. Yeah. So I, I do think that it's shifting, but I don't
1: mind it so long as they can keep telling fresh stories. Uh, One thing I love about the show, probably more than anything, is it's really a story about women who have taken unconventional paths Mm -hmm. and how brave that is, but how it's still a hard decision. And I think the the second episode was Sister Julianne and the backstory of the love that she let go and just how hard that is. And This is a theme that I will always be a sucker
2: for, by the way is a, a nun's love that she has to give up, like, <laughs> to show me, like, <laughs> I am always here for that, always.
0: <laughs> Did you guys see the holiday special from last year? I didn't actually know it existed until I went to watch it on the PBS site. Um, yeah, I always mm-hmm. seem
1: to never be able to see it, because I'm watching it when it's on the tv so it's on the pbs site i didn't see cynthia decide to take her vows no no so my
0: boss told me and i was like wait what yeah i watched the holiday episode like yesterday basically
2: and it was great it's it's really beautiful actually it's really really well done and yeah it's confusing because like other british shows often have their christmas special be the end of a season and on call the midwife it's at the beginning
1: but PBS doesn't ever show the Christmas But they did, but they life. showed
2: it a few weeks before because, like, it it just mm. aired into de- this past December, and then their new season in Britain started airing like the next week. But we had a delay because we were still finishing Down Abbey, so it's like it's really messed up. You have to pay super close attention.
1: Okay, well, I will go back and watch it, but I just I just found out she was a nun, and I was like, okay, not surprised. Right. Her-
2: it's a really sweet storyline. I really appreciated it particularly as a mirroring to Sister Bernadette deciding to give totally. up the habit, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I think it was really nice and it it didn't feel like a cop out like a oh, she's the homely one, so she's going to become a nun or anything like that. It was like, because, you know, we were talking, we've been talked before about how we really were hoping that a romance storyline would come along for her. And so that romance being with Jesus is not exactly what I was envisioning. And yet I bought it. I thought it was, I thought it was, Kind of beautiful. It was so. lovely,
0: and the other lovely thing about the that episode is it's bookended with Vanessa Redgrave, which is a really mm-hmm. nice transition from having Jenny on the show to not having Jenny on the <sighs>
1: show, but creating that continuity
0: of of her yeah. being in everyone's life.
1: All right. Well, I need to go back and watch it. Um, I'm definitely loving the new episodes, and um, you know, it's a it's a really interesting show because they don't shy away from. The horrors of having to be a woman,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, there's some stuff that happens in the first few episodes, just even in passing, that's uh, kind of hard to shake. Yeah, and even though it is a very lighthearted show about women who help deliver babies and la la la, there's still a lot about class, it's not lighthearted and <laughs> health. I don't think.
2: I think it's. I think it does a very good job of being funny at times to cut the tension. But it's a very emotional show. I have to be like in ready to focus to watch it.
0: Yeah, I have to be ready to be very upset when I watch it, and mm-hmm. it's hard. I mean, it always pays off, and I, I do think that it's it if not the one of the most feminist shows on TV right now.
2: Mm-hmm. I think I think you could make an, ar- an argument for it as the most feminist show. It's based almost even just on the fact that. There are multiple actresses over 50 on it. Hmm. There's no other show that has that, really. You know, Down Abbey a little bit has like two, Game of Thrones has like two. Uh, here, we've got
1: like five actresses that come in and out
2: who are older, you know? I mean.
1: Yeah, there's only one conventionally pretty character. Like, they're all unconventional
2: Yes, and I do. Um, I really hope that I'm spacing on what the the new redheaded nurse's mm-hmm. name is. Patsy, but it's is it? Patsy. Yes, it seems like we will be able to explore her status as a gay person at some point this season, which I really am looking forward to because she's she's a delight anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love so. to listen to her talk.
1: Yeah, yeah, her posh accent. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love that. I love that it's just real stories about women who are having to make hard decisions, and they show how hard it is. It's never just like like when she Sister Bernadette leaves, you know, leaves being a nun. It's not just like oh, I decided to leave because I fell in love. It's like whoa, no. this is a big decision, and you have to mourn the loss of what yeah. that other decision would have been like. Yeah,
2: and that's still one of the best like meeting in the rain scenes I've ever seen. When he's like, I love you and I don't even know your name. That is the best
1: line I've ever heard. (laughs) It's so good. So if you're listening and you haven't watched it, get on board. Just be in a nice safe space (laughs) with lots of tissues. (laughs) Well, I know the other show we had on our list um, that's coming up is Orphan Black. Uh Uh-huh. And I love season one. I got bored season two. So I'm asking for you guys to convince me of why I should finish season two.
2: I don't remember half of what happened season two because it was so confusing. Season
0: two is, like, really confusing and fucked up. I don't know. I'm just sort of obsessed with the show, so... I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I it will goes. keep
2: watching. If I could only watch the show in, like, German simulcast, I would still watch it because <laughs> that's how good Tatiana Maslany is. Yeah. Like, totally. I would just watch her body language for an hour. That I seriously would. So I don't need to know what's happening on the show. All I need to know is that she's in it. Yeah,
0: and, you know, just, just for those glimpses of Helena, for me, she's just so mm.
1: incredible. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing that you forget it's the same actress. I mean, she's just so talented. I mean, mm. I wouldn't
0: I wouldn't say you have to watch it because of the craft of acting. You know, if you're not into it, you're not into it. I'm obsessed with it. I think it. I
1: was into it. It just got so convoluted.
0: Yeah, it's convoluted.
1: And Sarah was being really whiny and, like, defiant about everything, just very one note, and there was, like, a lot of Sarah-heavy stuff. In the beginning of season two, so I think I just need to go back and give it another chance because I really, I, re- I, loved season one.
2: I really think they had that sophomore problem, a lot of sci-fi ish shows have, of trying too hard to keep building on their world as if that's the only way to keep people interested. But mm-hmm. you don't need to have the corporation and the cult and the other cults and the this and that, yeah, you know? it was too
1: many cults. No.
2: Uh, if they could just get back to the focus of the clones' relationships with each other, how, whether being a clone means your life is going to be different than being a normal person, physically and emotionally. And then I liked the introdu- introduction at the end of this other set of male clones, which I think would be will be hopefully very interesting come Season 3.
1: Alright, well I'm going to go back and give it another chance, so by our podcast next month, hopefully I will have caught up. When does the new season start? It starts, I believe, Friday or Saturday on BBC America. Oh. Well, real quick, what other shows um, have you guys been watching that maybe just finished or you are watching that we're not discussing in depth? Uh, oh, geez.
2: The Good Wife?
1: Yeah. Shut up. do surprised. mentioning The Good Wife. I did
2: watch all of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and I've had some really interesting conversations about that show's strengths and weaknesses, and how people have reacted to some of the racial issues in it, which I think are very interesting to talk about. Um, I've also still been watching Nashville, which, if there's a show, here's the thing, the shows that I talk about on the podcast, the, like, highbrow shows, I love having these conversations. If you follow my Twitter feed, it's all Nashville and Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it's just me being like, here's my opinion about this ridiculous development on Nashville or Grey's Anatomy.
1: I've really been enjoying Last Man on Earth, which has January Jones in it. And she's actually pretty great on it. Um, Christian Shaw is the real star of Last Man on Earth, but they did a really good job of making the end of the world funny because you don't see any dead bodies.
2: Yeah. Which is a weird thing. I think I watched the first three episodes of it, and I, I plan to continue because I do think January Jones is a talent that people have not realized her depths yet. But I also have seen some alarming reviews that it's pretty much all just about how much Phil wants to have sex with her, which I just am not that interested in watching. So
1: Oh, there's some gender problems. There's some total gender problems. But I think Christian Shaw's character... I don't know. She sells it for me. So, and the concept is super funny, but yes, there's a lot of, like, I need my pretty girl prize. What about you, Therese?
0: I'm watching The Good Wife.
2: (laughs) I feel like there's a small part of Therese that every podcast we record, she just hates us a little bit more that we haven't started watching The Good Wife.
1: Also... How is it still on? Is this show just on every week of the year <laughs> because the you're, year like, it's like it's a thing. you're not so.
2: watching any shows that are like 22 episodes a season anymore. There's yeah, like I don't. This is why I'm not caught up on it because it's an intimidating number of episodes to catch up on. It's going to have to wait until Game of Thrones ends and all the in the summer I'll have time, hopefully.
1: Well, you know, one show that I did watch that I don't think I ever mentioned on this podcast is I did watch Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. Mhm. And there were some real problems. <laughs> in it. But it ended super strong. The last few episodes were really good and kind of the flimsiest character that was kind of the like, I'm just slutty and I love threesomes, you know, she became really deep, like they put in this really tragic backstory and it really worked and it ended on a strong note and I'm excited to see where that show goes season two, which I was kind of surprised about.
2: I hope it did get renewed because I didn't finish the season, I only watched the first chunk of it and I, it was like it was good but you know like you you can't watch every show on TV you have to like cut some things so that's what it was for me it was good enough but not not
1: good enough to stay
2: but it's well I awesome, don't think it had its her.
1: tone figured out I don't think it had its tone it was figured definitely
2: out. good enough for me to check it out again come the new season just I couldn't I couldn't justify the hour of my time every week when other shows were coming back TV, you have well, too many interesting things going on. This is, you need to cool it. This is cool what it. I say
0: all the time to my husband who scoffs at television. And I say there is so much good television, I can't even dream of watching all the good television. That's all.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The people are telling me like I love superhero stuff, and they're like, but you're not watching Arrow, you're not watching The Flash, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, not because I, I don't want to. It's like, literally, I can watch like two shows per night over the course of the week. And even that is hard. Like, I Mm -hmm. can't watch all seven shows that are interesting that are on on Tuesday. You know, I have other things to do as well.
1: Well, and now all these other channels that you could have been like TV Land, you know, Bravo, Sci-Fi. I'm not watching those crappy channels. Well, now they're making good stuff. Yeah. So it's getting worse. Yeah,
2: it's only getting worse. (laughs) We're only going to get more behind, more fragmented, and that's why I have to be very strict and say I'm only watching the shows that, like, really make me want to talk about them every
1: week. Well, that is a great, that's a great closing sentence,
0: <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining us for Downton Gabby Offseason. We're going to be back next month with a new show. And in the meantime, we'll be talking to you on Twitter and Facebook about what you're watching and what you'd like us to talk about. Um, and... We have started compiling all of our One Fabulous things, and uh, so you can find the first batch at downtongabby.tumblr.com fab, that's F-A-B, and we're going to be adding to it all month. And the drinking glasses have arrived, so if you would like your own classy Downton Gabby drinking companion, you can order one at downtongabby.tumblr.com buy, B-U-Y, And we'll send you one, and you can be
2: just as drunk as us. You can be
0: just as drunk (laughs) as us. Oh, dear. Anyway, thanks for joining us. We will see you on Facebook at uh, Downton Gabby. We'll see you on Twitter at Downton Gabby and on Tumblr at downtongabby.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening.